Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Well, good morning. This is a little strange because I can't see all of you, but I know you're out there in the greenhouse and I'm right here or that you're online on Zoom. But wherever you are this morning, would you raise your hand if you have ever imagined living in a better house or um, renovating the one that you currently live in? Now, I can only see the hands of the seven people currently in the sanctuary, but every one of them is raised. And I would imagine that your hands, wherever you are, are raised as well. Seven years ago, Natalie and I moved into our current home by Friendly Shopping Center. And the reason we bought the specific house we did is because it has a massive basement. And at the time, our church did not meet at New Garden Park. We were meeting at Burr Mill Park. And we were only meeting there on Sunday mornings. And then we moved to Western Guilford High School. And we were a transient church, kind of moving around. And so we needed a place for our youth group to meet. And so we wanted a house with a big basement so folks could come and, and hang out and be together. And, uh, and it was great, but what our house did not have that I really longed for was a backyard. Our backyard was really sloped, and it was, had some big trees that took up most of it. It was ugly and dirty, and there was really no hope for anything happening in the backyard. Um, and I just I was frustrated because I wanted to have a place where kids could hang out in the backyard. And so I'd wake up at night, and I would look out the window in my bedroom, like a true story. Now, Natalie will attest that this is true. And I would look into our backyard and I would dream and I would imagine what could this look like. And then I started talking to some friends and kind of some of you here and kind of asking, hey, is this possible? Do you think we could actually turn this into a backyard and started saving up money? And I started drawing pictures like this one right here of, of what I want the backyard to look like and of a basketball court. And, and then some of you helped us and we built a retaining wall and we planted grass. And we cut down the, the big, big tree that was taking out most of the yard and we made a basketball court and we painted it Carolina blue. And tonight I don't have to look out the window and imagine what it would look like to have a bunch of teenagers hanging out in my backyard by the fire pit because they will be there socially distant, but wearing masks, sitting around a fire pit and getting to talk about Jesus and encourage one another. And it happened because God gave me this incredible gift that he's given all of us called an imagination. So why do I tell you that story? Because for the past couple of months, we have been preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus looks at his disciples and the people that he created that he so dearly loves. And he tells them, hey, you may look out of the world and you may see a barren backyard that's empty and that's broken and that's messy. But let me tell you what I see when I look out the window. My kingdom is full of life and peace, and forgiveness, and reconciliation. It's one where despair and death no longer rule. It's a place where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's a kingdom of absurd generosity. And Jesus is saying, if you want to know what this kingdom looks like, look at me and the way that I live. This is the life that I so desperately want for you, a life of true intimacy, where the king of your kingdom is your Abba Father who delights in you and loves you and wants to be with you, and where the citizens of the kingdom are your brothers and sisters, and you dwell together in unity. 
And just as our backyard got transformed, Jesus is transforming our world to look more like his kingdom. And y'all, his chosen method of doing it is his spirit working through you and through me. And at the end of this greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sums it up with an invitation for us. And it's an invitation that is so simple, it's deceptive. It's an invitation to use our imaginations, to imagine what it would look like if God's kingdom fully reigned in our world. What kind of world would this be if the citizens of God's kingdom actually lived with the kingdom mentality that he's laid out in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus is inviting his hearers to to envision and imagine a kingdom that is real and that has come and that is coming. He's saying, imagine a world that is filled with salt and light. Imagine a world where anger melts into mercy and compassion, where truth rings louder than lies and people astoundingly love their enemies. A world where it is truly more blessed to give than to receive. This is the kingdom I long for you to experience. This is my way of life. Jesus is inviting us to interact with him through our imaginations to bring to life the reality of his kingdom come. Now, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, maybe you remember when you first met him. Maybe you feel like, you know, at that point in my life, I was, I was, in, I was so on fire for Christ. I wanted to be with him but maybe it feels like that passion has died. And maybe that that loss of passion has even spilled over into other relationships. Maybe you've lost your passion in friendships, in marriages, in your schoolwork, in your job. A.W. Tozer wrote, the greatest enemy of Christianity may be people who say they believe in Jesus, but who are no longer astonished and amazed by him. Television dominates our time, alters our values, numbs us to life in all its wildness. We have allowed technology to beat our imaginations into submission, and we have become tourists rather than travelers. Y'all, it is easy for us to get stuck in the information age, to allow Netflix to entertain us and Google to inform us. But Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be stuck in the information age. I want to invite you into the imagination age. In Matthew 7, 12, one of the most famous verses in all of scripture, the one we call the golden rule, Jesus gives a very specific invitation for us to use our imaginations. And it's maybe a verse you've never associated with imagination before, but many of you could quote it by heart. Do unto others as you would, say it with me, have them do unto you. The NIV translates it this way in Matthew 7, 12. So in everything, do unto others what you would have them do unto you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So what does this familiar verse have to do with our imaginations? I want you to pause for a moment and think back over the Sermon on the Mount through the lens of the golden rule. So we've heard it preached from this pulpit, and as we've read the word of God, to love your enemies. I want you to really try for just a moment to imagine that you were someone's enemy and that they treated you with undeserved kindness. Just think for a moment how that would feel for you. 
Maybe you have a close friend or a family member or a spouse who now feels more like an enemy. Imagine how it would feel if they no longer treated you like an enemy, but they treated you with sincere kindness and tenderness. We heard the encouragement last week from Alan to not be mastered by money, but to give generously to those who are in need. Imagine if you were the one in need of a kidney, of a home, of a meal, and someone gave that to you. Imagine how you would feel. Jesus says, if you want to know what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, just imagine others treating you as you want to be treated and you treating others as they want to be treated. I recently got to watch this play out firsthand um, as my grandmother's health declined over, over this year. She um, has had dementia for a while and it b- began to get worse and worse and it became too dangerous for her to live on her own. And so in the beginning of 2020, we had to uh, make the hard decision as a family to put her into a full-time care facility. But then right after we put her in, COVID happened. And um, the nursing home became her hospital and her prison. And she couldn't have any visitors. And she spent every day completely alone. And it was awful. And for months, I watched my mom and my Uncle Terry wrestle with what to do. They felt so trapped because she needed this full-time care that they felt like they, they couldn't really give her. She needed medical help and treatment. But now they couldn't even go visit her. And they did not know what to do. So eventually they made their decisions using their imaginations and the golden rule. And they never told me this, but I imagine what happened is they fast forwarded their own lives 25 years to when they were at the end of their life. And they asked the question, how do I want my kids to treat me when I'm 94? And I imagine that was the day they decided to move her out of the nursing home and into my uncle's house. I imagine that was the day that my uncle and aunt decided to move into a different bedroom in their house and to break down their own bed in their room and to take it out and to put a hospital bed in their room and to take care of my grandmother and to be with her. And she lived with them for three months, three really hard months, three really sweet months until she passed away two weeks ago. And there was no guidebook for my mom and my uncle on how to take care of their mom during COVID. The only thing that could really guide them was this golden rule of imagining how they would want to be treated one day. And I don't know everything that that you all that are listening this morning are facing, but I do know a lot of things because you share them with me. I know that some of you are in the thick of caring for your aging parents. And please don't hear me saying that what my mom and aunt and uncle did for their mom is what you should do. Because I am so aware that these situations are so complex and there are so many layers. But Jesus has laid out for us this helpful filter of using our imaginations to help us make decisions. How do you want to be treated? I know that some of you are in broken relationships with the people that you live with, with your kids, with your spouses, with your roommates. This week, one of my best friends filed for divorce. I know that there is so much brokenness in relationships. And I know every situation is different, but Jesus invites us 
to ask in these relationships, how do you want to be treated? Wife, husband, how do you want your spouse to pursue you? Pursue him or her in that way, even when they are millions of miles away from deserving it. For that is what the absurd generosity of the kingdom of God looks like. Friend, parent, daughter, son, father, mother, brother, sister, how do you want to be loved? Love your enemies in that way. But here's one tricky piece of the puzzle that I have personally wrestled with a lot this year. Jesus says, treat others as you would have them treat you. But often, I don't even love myself. I am my own worst enemy. And the reality of how I feel like I should be treated is that not all of those desires are good desires. They are malformed by sin. And those voices lie to me. They tell me that I'm not good enough, that I'm not worthy of anything. They tell me the only thing I deserve is condemnation. And so for years, I have treated other people like I treat myself with condemnation instead of kindness. Ever since I was a kid, those voices in my head have screamed so loudly, Drew, try harder, be better, don't mess up again. And in turn, those are the messages that I often scream at people, sometimes out loud and sometimes silently. But y'all, something crazy in my life happened this year. And it started in the spring when I took six weeks off of work and I took time away from social media and my email and my phone and my laptop and I shut it down for six weeks. And um, I'd never done that before. But it gave me a chance to hear the voice of Jesus louder than the noise of the world. And thankfully, a lot of those rhythms have still continued today and even this morning. And I get to get to pick up God's word. And I get to imagine like him speaking to me. Because he really is. It's not something that I'm making up. I get to go into his word. This morning I was reading in Hosea 6. And I read, come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press in to know the Lord. Y'all, this is a, a real gift that we have from God that we can press into him, that we can use our imaginations to imagine how he is interacting with us through his word. And daily, moment by moment in life. And we can actually know God and be shaped and changed by him. As we get to know the voice of Jesus and as we get to know God, we know and we hear that his voice doesn't say, try harder, do better, don't mess up, be perfect. It simply says, come be with me. And for the past eight months, I've been learning that Jesus doesn't long for my perfection. He longs for my presence. And I've been learning that my failures do not stir up condemnation in them, but they stir up compassion in the heart of God. And as I've become more aware of God's tenderness towards me, you know what's happened? Without trying harder, I've oddly become more compassionate towards myself and in turn towards others. But over the past eight months, I continue to make all kinds of mistakes 
I mean, just this week I went to Food Line and I accidentally bought unsalted peanuts instead of salted peanuts. Why do they even make unsalted peanuts? I, I drove our minivan into the little yellow pole that blocks the drive-through sign at Sonic. Sonic has great ice. And so I, I was going there to get some ice and, and I drove our minivan. I just wasn't paying attention into this pole and I dented it up. Those are the kind of the things I, I yell at my wife about in the past, but not that I do. And I keep seeing more and more of these mistakes. I was trimming my beard a few weeks ago and I saw a long eyelash and I started to trim it and I realized that I had it all the way down. And then I shaved off all both of my eyelashes. I mean, my, I mean, it was nothing there. I keep making these mistakes over and over again. And in the past, I would beat myself up for them, but I'm getting to know my Abba father in a new way. And I'm realizing even more just how deeply sinful and selfish and prideful and messed up I am, how rebellious I am in my spirit. But in that, I'm slowly beginning to believe that there's absolutely nothing I can do to outrun the grace of God. One of my favorite songs is called The Gospel, and it's by the Helsers. And one of the lines in the song says, Oh, the arms of love fly faster than I can fall. The arms of love fly faster than I can fall. Y'all, that is a perfect picture of our God. There is nothing we can do to outrun his grace. The passage that I've spent the most time in over the past month is Ephesians 2. And in it, the the apostle Paul writes this. He said, all of us at one time lived gratifying our sinful desires of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. It's almost as if our sin makes God run even harder after us. Like a child falling down and a parent running to pick them up. And Paul continues in Ephesians 2, 6, and he writes, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us through Christ Jesus. Our God is a generous father who cannot wait to lavish his immeasurable grace and kindness on us. It is not a duty for him. It is a deep delight. Our weakness stirs his compassion. And the reason this is such a big deal is that until we can grasp that, we are just going to keep being exhausted by trying to chase after this try harder life. And in turn, we're going to expect other people to do the same. It leaves us trying to earn love from God and trying to earn love from everyone else. And it leaves us disappointed in ourselves. And it leaves us really disappointed in how others act. But when we realize our own brokenness and our own frailty and our own fallenness, and we realize that that is not an obstacle to intimacy with God, but rather a doorway to the heart of God, we can in turn walk through that same doorway to reach the heart of others. We learn how to treat others by learning how God treats us. We learn how to treat others by learning the heart of Christ toward us. And how did God treat us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, 
he took our place. While we were poor and needy, he said, you who have no money, come, buy, eat, and drink. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We don't have to guess what the golden rule looks like. Jesus showed us what it looks like with his life. Even the religious leaders mocked him by calling him a friend of sinners. What does it look like to us to be a friend to ourselves? to be a friend to people who don't deserve it. So as we read the golden rule in Matthew 7, 12, we imagine together how this could play out in our week. What is Jesus asking us to do this week in our life to imagine his deep love for us and to imagine how in turn we can offer that to others? So I've got two takeaways for you today from this one simple familiar verse in Matthew 7, 12. And the first is that Jesus is inviting us to imagine treating ourselves as Christ treats us. Imagine treating yourself as Christ treats you with abounding patience and tenderness and compassion. Y'all, I would encourage you this week to spend some time reading the Gospels. Maybe it's been a while since you opened the Word of God. It is powerful. It is alive and God speaks to us through it. I know it's true because he does it to me. I know it's true because he's done it for thousands of years and he wants to speak to you. Open the word of God to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Look at the life of Jesus and then use your imagination to picture yourself in these true stories and these accounts that happened 2000 years ago. We use our imaginations to fantasize over all kinds of things over what kind of house we want, over what, what our, we want our backyard to look like, over what we want our spouse to be like, over maybe one day getting to go back to school in person or work in person and what that would be like. We use our imaginations to picture these things all the time. Why not use it to imagine ourselves in scripture as the woman who has been called in sin, as the man who was paralyzed and can't move. Maybe some of you feel like you've been caught in sin and you are paralyzed and you can't move. Read those stories and see how Jesus responds to those people and imagine yourself laying on that mat. Imagine yourself in the middle of a room surrounded by people who are mocking you and look at how Jesus treats them because that's exactly the same compassion that he wants to show to you. Now, I know for, for many, many of you, you might feel stuck. Like, I just can't use my imagination. Like, this is too touchy-feely of a sermon. Can't wait till somebody more intellectual gets up to preach next week. But I would just encourage you in this. If you feel stuck and you feel like there's no way I can imagine myself in Scripture, one of the things that God uses to help unstuck my heart is, is art and music and one of the things that he's used is the TV series called The Chosen. Some of you have watched it. And if you haven't, you can download The Chosen app for your phone and mirror it to your device, your TV. And, uh, and you can watch this incredible portrayal of the life of Christ. And it's not perfect, but it's, it's the most incredible thing that I've watched in a TV series or movie depicting the life of Christ. And it really brings the compassion of, of Christ to life, I think, for, for so many folks who have a hard time picturing it just by reading his word. But read his word and, and watch the chosen in connection with one another and just ask, Lord, unpry my heart. It is stuck. I want to reimagine what it looks like to come to you 
and to be intimate with you and to be able to see you kindly caring for my heart because often I just beat myself up. Use your imagination and imagine how Christ is treating you. That's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is that Jesus is inviting us to use our imagination and how we treat others and to imagine treating others as Christ treats us with undeserved generosity, with patience and compassion. And we can think about that on a micro level with the people that live in our homes and the people that we interact with at work and at school and at church. But what happens when we scale it out and we imagine treating others the way Christ treats us on a bigger scale? Do we want other people to have the same things that we want for ourselves? Do we want other people to have clean water? Do we want other people to have access to real food? Do we want them to be able to feel safe in their neighborhoods? And do we want other people's kids to have the same privileges that we want our kids to have? That's something I've really wrestled with. As our kids go to a private Christian school that not everybody can afford. And it can feel easy for me to ignore until I get to know a kid or a family who doesn't have the same rights and advantages that I do. And when that happens, it's a lot easier for me to imagine how I'd want my kids to be treated if I were in their situation. So your homework for takeaway number two is to reach out to someone this week who is different than you. And in that relationship and in building that, you begin to imagine what it's like to be in their shoes. Maybe it's simply crossing the room after the service today and introducing yourself to someone in a different life stage, someone you've never met before. Maybe somebody who looks different than you is a different age than you. Maybe it's checking in with some folks who are home alone this Thanksgiving and imagining what it would be like for you if you were stuck home alone. Brendan Manning once said, you are never more Christ-like than when you are choked with compassion for the brokenness of others. You are never more Christ-like than when you are choked with compassion for the brokenness of others. And when we are choked with the compassion of Christ, both for ourselves and for others, when we imagine it and act on it, we begin to see a glimpse into the kingdom of God. When we show undeserved, absurd generosity, we show the world a picture of heaven breaking into earth. And we move from the what if of imagination to the what is of living in the kingdom of God. Y'all, the golden rule isn't just good advice. It is a signpost pointing us to the reality that the kingdom of God exists and that it is here. And that there, there is a real king and he is fully alive. And he reigns over this kingdom with unending, undeserved mercy. And as we go through this Thanksgiving week, may we imagine treating ourselves as Christ treats us. May we imagine treating others as Christ treats us. And may we grow in our understanding of God's sincere and deep delight in us. And as we receive that delight, may we offer it to others. Let's be a church who shows the world what the kingdom of God looks like. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.